Dear listeners, the subject and content matter of today's episode is a little different to normal. And that's because Tracy recently received a phone call from a client who was ready to share her story and experience with domestic violence. Please consider this a trigger warning. Attached to the show notes of this episode are some links to support services. Hello listeners, welcome to Turns Out She's Psychic, the podcast, spiritual musings, sometimes amusing. I'm Tracy and I'm Laura. Hello dear listeners, 43 women were killed in 2021, more than half were mothers eight women have been killed this year alone. So far today, police would have dealt with an average of 534 domestic violence matters in Australia alone. One in six are women, one in 10 are men. Sorry, one in 16 are men. On Friday night, police were called to a property in Mayfield, Newcastle, New South Wales, where they found 21-year-old Mackenzie Anderson lying outside her home suffering multiple stab wounds. Despite assistance from paramedics, sadly, Mackenzie died at the scene. It's also been confirmed that Mackenzie's three-year-old child was present during the time of the attack. Her ex-partner, Tyrone Thompson, has been charged with murder and aggravated enter dwelling with intent. In today's special episode of our podcast, we felt a calling to deviate from our usual content and shine some attention to not only Mackenzie, but to domestic violence. Earlier today, I received a text from a mentoring client who needed to chat urgently. As I have mentioned before, I have the privilege of working with people who have and do live with tremendous and unimaginable traumas. The client I mentioned is one, and today she said, enough. Today she said, I am ready. And Spirit immediately guided me to ask her to share her story via the podcast, via our platform. Part of what a spiritual journey involves is an awareness that your pain is not just yours and therefore does not just serve you. If you are a healer blueprint, then another huge part of it is that your role as a healer will almost always be directly related to your pain. Caitlin rang me today to tell me she is ready. Caitlin is with us today to speak to, educate us on, and move forward with graceful courage. Hello, sweet Caitlin. Hello, hello, everyone. Hi, How Caitlin. are you doing? I'm good. It's been a, a full-on 48 hours, I think, since I heard that story of Mackenzie. Um, and it's just really ignited a fire in my belly that I just, I just need to talk on a platform um, and just try and help someone, even if it's just one person. But I'm ready. I'm, I'm ready to talk about it. So I'm excited. Thank you. We're, we're just, uh, I feel so privileged and honoured to get to, and Lara, I don't want to speak for you, but I just feel privileged and honoured to be able to get to have a platform where we can reach many, 
um, especially many who are empaths, many who are people who will always strive to make a difference or connect or understand and be empathetic and compassionate and kind. Mm. Um, so, um, yeah, I, I am excited is the wrong word, but I'm really, um, I'm really just, I feel really privileged and humbled and honoured to be able to do this today. Yeah, thank you. I feel I'm privileged to still be here and that was the main driver in me reaching out to you today because it was almost a year ago today or tomorrow that I was in that exact same situation as Mackenzie and she is not here to have a voice anymore, which it's just heartbreaking. Like I have to speak up. I have to speak up for her. Mm. well thank Um, you for honoring that and for being so brave and for joining us and as we mentioned at the start with the trigger warning and we'll just remind everyone again um so this episode is obviously um about domestic violence and we're going to hear about Caitlin's story and thank you so much for showing up today and to share it's massive for you and it sounds like you just said the last 48 hours has really been a turning point for you and um, you're moving forward with it all and you're here to share everything. So thank you so much. Of course, you're welcome. Um, obviously with anything, um, it's always individual. So whether it's a trauma or it's a celebration or parenthood or, you know, disease or something like that, there is always an individual element to it. And as I would, as I would imagine, it would be exactly the same with DV. Um, and DV relationships in terms of no two are the same. Um, but can you, I want our listeners to know that, first of all, you're speaking from your experiences um, and it's not always a black and white, um, but in your experience, what, and, and now having been kind of a year out of the last incident a physical abuse because there's obviously a lot of emotional and mental trauma and abuse that continues after the physical stops. Um, what are the like? What are some of the universal aspects that you think that you could talk to in terms of like the 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 red flags that are kind of present in most, if not all, all DV relationships? Because today you said something to me was that at first you didn't realize that you were in a DV relationship. And then one day you were just like, hang on a minute, am I in a DV relationship? And the first thing that you did was Google white ribbon. So can you just talk about like kind of what were those things that happened to you that made you think, hmm, maybe, and then what were the, the, the flags that kind of went, yes, that, that I tick those boxes. Yeah. Um, Before I get into my story, I just also want to acknowledge that um, domestic violence happens in same-sex couples as well as um, males, other victims, as well as females being perpetrators. So my story today is obviously the female is the victim and the male is the perpetrator, but I acknowledge that it happens in all types of relationships. Um, Yeah, exactly what I said today. I remember it was probably four months into dating this person um I'm not going to mention his name throughout it because he doesn't deserve it um but he I remember walking to the bathroom and I didn't hear what he said and he he thought I was ignoring him so he got up and pushed me pretty hard into the wall 
And then I went to jump into bed and he said that I wasn't allowed to stay in the bed, that I had to sleep on the floor with no blanket and no pillow. And that was kind of like, yeah, kind of the first big thing. And I just laid there. And there'd been a couple of other things like him snapping and just some of the gross language he would use about women. And I don't know, it just popped into my head. I was like, is this what a DV relationship is? Like, is this how it starts? And I went on to White Ribbon and there was like these almost like check boxes. Like if this is happening, if this is happening, you know, and you tick, 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 and then, yes, you're probably in a DV relationship. And a lot of it ticked and um, a lot of it was control and coercive control, which we're learning about a lot more now. Like, for example, I was not allowed to wear certain cuts of undies, like un- under jeans or dresses that no one else could see. Um, I And same with my bras or I wasn't allowed to wear dresses that are above the knee. Um, and so there was a lot of control in that as well. And then things like um, I had a really tight group of girlfriends and best friends and me and my brother were, well, now we're back to being best mates. Um, and he would just comment about them, you know, uh taking me off track or not making the best decisions when I'm with them and saying nasty stuff with them and it came to the point where I'd want to hang out with them it was it was not worth the fight I wasn't allowed to so there was definitely that isolation and Did I you became ever question so- these things was there any conversations or you didn't feel comfortable to talk about no it? for sure at first like I I definitely like I stuck up for my girlfriends and like you know, suck up for my brother because a normal person, a rational person goes, Does that? What, what, yeah, what's what's the issue kind of thing? Yeah. And so I was like, what is the issue? And I would say that to him and then he would just, he would, they are what just happened? so clever. They, they, yeah, they are just so clever that they turn it around, turn the whole conversation around that you've done something wrong and they would actually never give you an answer. Mm-hmm. you know, why they didn't like that person or um, or why they didn't like my brother. Or why so they couldn't wear certain undies even? Like what, did you say was, why? Like did you ask he, what was the reason? Yeah, he was, he was paranoid that if I'd be with him, another man would be able to tell what I was wearing and that I would be asking for attention. Was there oh. a part of you that kind of tried to justify it and kind of absorb it in a way it's just like oh well he just loves me so much and this is just his way of looking after me was there ever a part of you that got to that point at the start it was at the start I was just like okay like he's just really um self-conscious and it always comes with this sob story of oh my ex-girlfriends did xyz and this is why I'm like this and so at first I was like sure like it doesn't bother me like I'll change my undies for god's sake like something so yep. little like that <laughs> and then slow. it just it just became normal as sad as that sounds it became normal and people are probably listening going I'm pathetic no no but it, it just becomes Not a normal well, yeah and, and like I because I know if I was to hear this and I haven't been in a DV relationship before I'd be shaking my head going what the hell are you doing like 
when you're oh, in it, so though, obvious you know yes. it's, it's only on reflection that you're seeing yes. it from these eyes when you're yeah. in it of yeah. course if you realize that but if you if you don't yeah exactly right so yeah I mean hindsight is a beautiful thing and reflection is and you never like the thing is you never think it's going to be you in a dv relationship I never in a million years thought I would end up in that situation like Mm -hmm. I like to think that I'm quite switched on I'm educated um I'm emotionally intelligent and that yet here I am and it's kind of like a blink in the eye a blink of an eye you're there you're there it doesn't matter that you're like it doesn't mean you're none of those things because you've been in that relationship you can be all those things and be in that relationship yeah because it's gradual it's like putting the frog in the boiling water like, or in the water and turning the temperature up. The frog doesn't yeah. know that it's about to die with the temperature being turned up. You just, you do things in the name of love, in bunny ears, and you start to make sacrifices. And then at some point you probably get to the point where it's just like, I can't be bothered, like you said. It's like, yeah. it's just not worth the fight. So I'll just give in and I'll lump it. Yeah, exactly right. And then the more I did begin to question it, because I've always been quite, strong and independent like and I will stand up for myself the Mm. more his reactions got worse okay you know and he was six two quite muscly like I like to think I could hold my own I didn't stand a chance against him you know so it just I kind of just and you knew that obviously you were smart enough to know that yeah yeah I just flew under the radar a bit so that's what happened. You just stopped questioning. You stopped. Yeah, stop questioning it. Some days I would just not snap. Snap's not the right word, but like just try and have a normal conversation with him. Like, yep. you know, just let's talk about it. Let's sit down. But you can't do that with these men. You you cannot do it because everything is your fault and everything that they do is because you done something and it's their mm. reaction. You, know, you can't so work with them. There's no like. There's no kind of. There's no gray area. It's black and white, and they control not that. Fault. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So it sounds like he was very emotionally and mentally abusive. Um, mm-hmm. And then I don't want to discount the pushing and things like that being physical. But how physical, physically abusive did that relationship get? Yeah. So um, yeah, it started off with. Um, pushing like holding me down with my neck um I cannot tell you the amount of times I was spat on or food poured over my head wow. and then yeah wow. yeah it was so disgusting and so degrading degrade it, it is it's the most degrading thing you know um and then in September what year are we now 22 so 21 September 2019 we were living together in Lake Macquarie and he came home from work one day and I could just tell that he was off and he, now I know he was under the influence of drugs but that is okay. still no excuse for abuse being on drugs. Mm-hmm. But he was under the influence um, and he started off with his paranoia. He really had these paranoid thoughts when he was, paranoid thoughts when he was on drugs and he thought that, you know, I was after other men and He'd been um, he'd been secretly recording me around the house on his iPad, and he would then take these drugs and then listen to the recordings and believe that he could hear things in it. Oh gosh! So, yeah. So he came home from work one day, locked the front door, 
put this recording on full ball, like all the neighbours, the street would have been able to hear it and he was just, you know, calling me a cheating C and, you know, just admit it, like, and, like, I tried to run out of the house because he was being aggressive. Like, it was a lot more intense scary. than that. Yeah, it was okay. scary. Like, and he was standing over me. And then so I tried to run out the front door. I couldn't, um, I couldn't get out because he blocked me. So then I tried to jump the back fence and then he got to me there. And then I eventually escaped out the front and drove to my dad's house because I knew I wasn't safe with him. Were there any neighbours around? Yeah, there was, but, you know. Because they would have been able to people. hear it, people like are- you said. Well, that's what, yeah, the two neighbours and- were, were quite young girls. Like they would have been mm-hmm. in their, you know, early 20s. And, like, I don't hold any, like, ugh, like I completely understand they wouldn't get involved. Mm-hmm. Um, so I removed, got myself out of that situation. He was in the middle of the street, threw something at my car, yelling profanities that he was going to kill me and all this. And it, <clears throat> at that time I was like, yeah, I'll remove myself from the situation. I stopped into my cousin's, debriefed with her and then went to my dad's. And I, I decided I'll sleep at dad's and let him cool down because he he'd snapped like that mentally before but then he would always come to and then the apology and things so I went to dad's house and I dad's downstairs is all self-contained like a separate area and so I jumped into bed thought nothing of it I didn't text him I like just left him be to cool off at 3 a.m in the morning I hear the door creak open to the bedroom that I was in and he's standing there, like just watching me. Wow. Um, and at, and it still brings tears to my eyes to think about it. I briefly woke up, like I was so, so sleepy, and I briefly woke up and I saw him and I was thought he was standing there to apologise. So I shut my eyes and I was waiting for him to jump into bed next to me. Next thing I know, my head is cracked on the corner of a cupboard next to my bed. Um and he was just repeatedly punching my face. I woke to my brother standing over me screaming, thinking I was dead because I was in a pool of my own blood. And I came, and then I came to again, I was like in and out of consciousness. I came to again to hear like yelling out the front and my brother obviously went out the front and there was a bit of commotion. Um, and then I went out and he was wrestling my brother and my brother, like he's probably the same size as um, that person, my ex, but he's he hasn't got that fight in him. Like he's a real gentle spirit. So like I just instantly went into protection mode and I remember jumping on my ex's back and he turned around and just king hit me in the driveway and then ran off to the car and took off and went to work. Believe it or not, is a chippy. So he thought, oh, I'll do this and then just went to the job site at five in the morning to work like nothing happened. Caitlin, that nearly just made me want to be sick. Yeah, it was. um... I'm so sorry that happened to you. So sorry that happened to you. Thank you. Yeah, it's um, it's still like you can't fathom it. It's surreal. Yeah. Yeah, it's just and it's just for some like. I am so different to him, so I just couldn't, I can't even imagine how someone could do that, could cause so much harm to someone, especially like, the, and the thing that really 
pisses me off and I just think you are just so mental and evil. The drive from our house that we were living at to my dad's is 45 minutes. Oh, wow. That's he quite had, a long time. Yeah. He had 45 minutes to calm down, mm. to know what he was going to do, to talk himself out of it, and to rethink. call one of, to one of his mates, but no. And it, he knew what he was going to do. And another thing that really just irks me is I was asleep. Mm. I was defenceless. Like I did not stand a chance. And it wasn't only, about you. No, no, that's right. And it, he only stopped because I don't remember, but my brother still remembers to this day my screams and that woke mm-hmm. him up. And he heard the top door come open and that's when my ex fled. You said something through that in the beginning of just expressing that, you know, encounter. Um where you didn't text him and you went to your dad's because you just wanted him to cool off. Mm. Explain to to us that whole kind of like if my husband had done something like that to me, there would be no wait for him to cool off. There would be like, see you later. I am never seeing you again. Can you kind of help us, me, understand um, how you were even giving him the the respect and the the I don't know the the space yeah the opportunity thanks Laura to even cool down to even apologize to you and at what point with you kind of being kind of in and out of sleep and being so tired and probably completely emotionally wrecked and ruined where you wake up and you think that he's here to apologize and jump into bed what like what part of you at that point because I I could probably bet everything that I have that now you wouldn't do the same. But at that point, can you help us understand what emotional and mental headspace you are in to think that you could um, forgive him for that or accept his his apology or anything that he would possibly say be something that you would allow to continue? Yeah, yeah, I get it. I completely get it. And I was – I pre this that relationship like I had the exact same mindset once you were in it and they work their magic after a few months you don't know what's up from down Mm. you you do not you have no idea what you stand for anymore and you're in this cycle where this this abuse happens and then it's and it's followed by this you know intense apology and making love bombing love bombing and it is and like through my therapy and like with a psychologist and psychiatrist and dv counselors it's addictive it's an addictive cycle Mm -hmm. and it's trauma bonding Mm -hmm. it you know it's it's incredibly hard to get out of you're in like this well of a sticky spider web that's dark and you are struggling you you just yeah is there an element of you get used to them calling the shots and them dictating what you do and you just go along with it like yeah 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 for sure sorry like certainty Laura is that what you mean it's kind of just like it's the only certainty that you have so you kind of become attached to that certainty well I suppose so like you know prior to being in a relationship like that you're used to being your own person and you know you hear people say oh I wouldn't put up with that because they're used Mm -hmm. to 
calling their own shots. But when it's such a progressive, coercive control type thing, I'm just wondering if, you know, you spoke before about you just learn to not argue or you learn to just put up with this and put up with that. So are you learning at the same time to just go along with whatever they say and just keep doing that? Yeah, for sure. And, yeah, exactly right. And I guess back to Tracy's question, there is um, there was two parts of it as well. Like there was that trauma bonding and that cycle. Mm-hmm. And then there was, so I'm a registered nurse and I've worked in mental health. I've worked with people that are affected by ice and other drugs. Um, so there was there was Caitlin in the relationship and then there was nurse Caitlin in the relationship and there was this part of me that so deeply wanted to help him and could be I could understand that he was in psychosis because of this drug so I was making excuses for him there's no other way around it um and I would want to help him so I would keep giving him those chances and and, you know, want him to get better and he would want to get better, like quotation marks, want to get better, but he clearly didn't. So, yeah, it was just, it was just hard. Like, Mm. it's just... Impossible. Impossible. Exactly right. Which which do you think is that why um, the statistics show such devastating... um, results because it is such a possible situation that most often someone has to do something so extreme for it to end yeah for it for it to stop it has to be an, a, a a profoundly extreme uh, experience or occurrence or action or something has to happen that is almost like equal to the extremes of the control within the relationship does that make sense absolutely absolutely it does. So I had um, left in um, 2019. Yeah, no, 2020. Sorry, I left him in 2020. So you um, stayed with him after that? Yeah, yeah. Like I, I had time away. I well didn't have time away while he was still in psychosis or just off the rails. I actually fled to Queensland because he kept threatening my life. So I packed up in the middle of the night and drove to Queensland because I used to live on the Gold Coast for many years and stayed with some girlfriends. Um, And then I ended up coming back to him because he tried to take his own life and that just sucked me right back in. Um, And I've forgiven myself for that. Like I'm all the wiser now, but in that moment you just, your heart just breaks. Like it's just just horrible to be in. Um, of course. And then, oh, where was I going with that? You left. You left in 2019. Yeah. So I left um, because, like, after that assault, like, it was huge. Like, the amount of work I had to do on myself and he, like, I would go to, like, a group, um, DV survivors group, whether it was women that have survived these situations and we would talk about it. And then I'd, I'd come home to him And I'd try and talk to him and he didn't want a bar of it. And it just, it was so insulting that I was like, we're done. Um, And I packed up and moved to dad's. And then we went like a few months without talking. And then one day he messaged me saying, I really want to apologise to you. 
um, like I'm doing really well, like I owe you that. Um, can you meet me in this car park? And this was March last year. And I thought, oh, okay, yeah, but not listening to my gut because I knew something was definitely up, but I still went along with it. Um, and so much so, and they even read out the phone call in court um, that I, just before I met with him in the car park, I rang him and I said, is this a trap? And he said, no, 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 like nice as pie. Pull up to the car park um, and I jump in the car with him. As soon as I jump in the car, he pulls a large hunting knife on me, on my throat, um, reverses out and locks the doors. And he was just oh, rage. Rage doesn't even come close to this emotion. And he was just like um, just telling me that he was going to gut me um, he's going to slip my throat, you know, um, that no other man can have me. And he just wasn't making any sense. Um, he proceeded to smash my head into the dashboard. Um, and then he proceeded to start slicing the left side of my face with the knife while driving erratically in the main road in Newcastle. When I first jumped in the car, I knew he was in trouble because of the look in his face and I tried to open the door and he'd locked, like, deadlocked the doors. And then I kicked into, after he started to cut my face, there was this moment, and I can still imagine it as clear as day, that I just went into survival mode. And I never understood that. I heard people talk about it before, but you go into survival mode and I was like, I need to get out of here or I'm dead. And I was just looking for every option. Um, and then so he was driving around a corner, so he's going probably like 50 k's, and I don't know how. I swear someone's looking out for me up above. I tried the door and it unlocked, and then I rolled out of the car on a moving highway. And then I was trying to flag down people to help me. Like I would have looked like a crazed woman. It was 10 a.m. on like I think a Wednesday morning and blood coming out of my face. I was he all kept rushed going. up. He, he drove and he stopped about 20 metres up the road and then as he was doing a U-turn, a tradie drove past me and looked really concerned and then screeched and done a U-turn and said, get in the car Wow! just before he got me. And he, I swear that tradie saved my life that day. Oh, 100% he saved my life. So, yes, it takes an extreme to break that cycle. Like it, it took me almost... Mm being murdered you know like and and it's the scary part because I I thought to myself when you know when I knew that I was gonna I had enough of this relationship and it's such a shit way that you have to think about leaving a DV relationship I knew that there was a good chance he was going to come after me because I left him you know and it's heartbreaking and that's why people don't leave they try leave and you get stalked. Um, Less of two evils. Yeah, e exactly right. And, you know, for <laughs> me, I didn't. Mm -hmm. No, sorry, you go. I, like for me, I didn't have kids. So, like, I understand and I've talked to people in situations, you know, stay for the kids or financial. Yeah. Um, like it's not, it's not as black and white to just pick up and leave. Mm. You know, you need to have an 
it's it's a shame you have to do it, but you need to have an exit plan where you're going to go. You need to have some money in your back pocket. Um, you you can't just walk out the door with these men because they just the second they lose control, you're just a sitting duck. Because they're clever. Mm. Yeah. I read a statistic today that said one in eight women who are homeless. Um, are homeless because of domestic violence and they needed to leave to save their lives but they had nowhere else to go. Yeah. And these um, statistics, it would be interesting to know how many people are currently in these relationships and not leaving. Well, um, some of the other statistics that I read were that every two minutes um, police are called to a, a domestic violence matter and that um, 5,000 happen every week. Um, there's something like 264,000 odd um, a year in just Australia alone. Um, and that 6,500 people on average are admitted to hospital every year because of domestic violence injuries, whether it is women, men or children. Um, Caitlin, can I just ask, after that, um, how does what does it look like to be able to go to the police to report an incident like that? Is do, how do they make you feel? Is there like for for someone who might be listening to this that is in a DV experience or maybe supporting someone who is? Um, is it what what does you know? And and please like I like I just feel like I am fighting back my tears and I feel sick in my stomach because like I hate that I'm that you're having to relive this. Um, but please just can you help people understand what that process looks like because they might be afraid of that. Like that might be what's stopping them because they might be judged or they might not be believed or pitied or whatever. Like what does that look like? So in both my um, assaults, I had all up about six or eight male um, detectives and constables and I cannot speak more highly. I They... They took it so serious. They sat down. They listened to me, um, you know. And you don't, you don't even need to know what you're going to say. Just walk in there, you know. And they will take you into a room and they start to interview you. Um, they get help. They give you options in regards to charges. Um, they connect you with um, the DV support services that are attached to the police station and the local courts and those ladies give you a ring within 24 hours and they start making a plan for you, um, whether it's to flee, emergency accommodation, financial help. Um, but going to the police for first for your first protocol, I just, just do it. Do it. Go in by yourself, go in with a girlfriend, go in with the family and it needs to be reported to get you can still get help without reporting but from my experience it opened up this huge door of support once it was reported to the police um yeah I I was so blessed and so lucky to have the most wonderful police officers look after me and your ex is currently in prison serving his sentence because of his attack on you. Um, how crucial to his sentencing was the reporting of the previous incident before the last one? So crucial. So, so crucial. For example, for all that that had happened, he will be in um, jail for four years in total 
he's already served one year, so he will be out in three years for both both assaults, and um, that is apparently quite a large sentence. Do they do, um, like, I know you and I have spoken about this before and obviously there is a whole different conversation that you and I have when it comes to you and, and your healing yes. and um, when we first came in contact with each other, you were in a completely different place um, yeah. and things have moved. But today you told you you said to me, um, I need to do something, I need to speak, I need to, I need to do something for change and what was really, really impressive, um, but also totally just unsurprising because I know you in your core and in your spirit, you said like, as equal as I have this voice about speaking for people like Mackenzie and, and yourself, um, you, you are as equally passionate about um, bringing awareness to the perpetrators and potentially the fact that what you can see is almost like a pathway of like it's like grooming in like young men in your instance young boys who are almost just like just walking endlessly and almost like mercilessly and almost ignorantly and naively and everything just down this mm -hmm. pathway of mm -hmm. almost 100 becoming a perpetrator so I'm really keen for your insight into um, what you think um, maybe could be done or said or changed or brought you know into wisdom or awareness or whatever when it comes to um, education and support for potential perpetrators yeah for sure the like the biggest thing that still shocks me to this day like that first assault was horrific like my I think my whole left side of my face was pretty much fractured um chipped teeth my mouth was all cut up inside and he just had to um go to the courthouse and wait his term for court which could be a couple of years and in the meantime he could do whatever he wanted he wasn't held accountable for anything Isn't crazy it, and that's right? so scary yeah so 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 scary I like I'm not going to pretend I have all the answers, but I got some ideas. And I truly believe, like, there's uh, men's behaviour change programs um, that address, you know, um, um, toxic behaviour and views of women and building relationships and, like, like a therapy, I guess. Do they um, have to go to these sorts no, of things when they're no, charged? no. You don't, they don't at all, but that's what it should be. It yeah. should be an assault like that. You need to go there every week and show up. And if you don't, you're incarcerated straight away. Like it let's, makes sense, doesn't it? let's well, not let them sit there and fester until they want to snap again. Let's try and fix the problem instead of giving it a Band-Aid solution. And the problem is not me. It wasn't Mackenzie. It is them and it's all on them and they... I just really feel that a lot could be different. We could have less women dying if we really fund and make this a... A movement. A movement, yeah, like a mandatory for them to do. Yeah, You know, back in 2012, um, I got arrested drink driving um, and I was ordered to go to court uh, sorry, I was ordered to go to a um, a drunk driver 
uh, kind of two-day seminar thing and it's mandatory. Like you've got no hope of the judge um, going easy on you or no hope, not easy, but, you know, you've got no hope of any kind of retribution unless you go and do this thing. And I had to sit there and I had to listen to parents and and partners and children talk about their loved ones who got killed by drunk drivers and it was life altering like it like you can imagine someone like me like I was vomiting in the toilets during the lunch break and having to excuse myself every five seconds because it was hectic but I I shit you not there was about 500 people in this room for those two days Mm. and it was we had to travel to Nara we had to travel like to the other end of my state to be able to go to this thing but we had to do it for drink driving and we weren't allowed on the road until we have done these things yet there are people out there who are waiting their court date and this is a very personal kind of topic for me too on a completely different note, but people out there waiting their court date. And in the meantime, like what happened to that beautiful woman and her children up in Queensland, she's just getting her kids into the car going to school and he turns around and lights them on fire because he is out because Mm -hmm. the court system is so full and is so fucking backed up and jacked up. Yeah. that domestic violence isn't a priority for them. Mm-hmm. Like they, the, the, the cops and the detectives, in my experience, from what I have heard personally, they are amazing, like you said. They are trying to advocate you. They are for you. They are doing everything they can, but they yeah. get to court and they can't do anything about it. The court yeah. lets them down. So it's at so many different levels, I think. Oh, absolutely. It needs to be, it's, a multifaceted approach it needs to be. There are so many pieces of this puzzle um, for both victims and perpetrators to change the system. And the system needs to change because the statistics aren't getting any better, um, which says that all what we're doing now or what the government is doing isn't working. Like it needs a shake-up. Shit needs to change so young women, or sorry, women of all ages and some men stop dying, stop being murdered. And children like this three-year-old little sweetheart doesn't have to witness their mother being stabbed to death. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Like, and, you know, and this is going back to Nurse Caitlin in the relationship, it was so hard to get help. It was so hard to get help. There was one for him in the way, and I mean, that's predominantly because of who he is, and he didn't, you know, had no insight into what he was doing. He thought he was wrong. But there was, I remember there was one night, and it was after the first assault, like he just, you know, was appearing vulnerable, acting vulnerable, and he said he wanted help. So much so that, you know, he was having like a mental breakdown and he wanted to take his own life. I managed to get him into my car and I drove him to um, a hospital in Newcastle into the ED and said, you know, my partner's just trying to take his life. Um, We need help. Um, And we opened up to the doctor that he'd recently attacked me and she goes, okay, and they took us straight into the MARTA at Newcastle in the mental health ward. And we were sitting there. And I had to do, like, an interview with a psychiatrist and tell him what had happened. And I said to that psychiatrist and the team of mental health nurses that were there as well, I said, if you do not help him, if 
you know, you do not admit him tonight. He is going to kill himself or he's going to kill me. I begged, I begged for them to admit him because I was so, just so worried. Desperate. So, yeah, desperate, desperate. They kept him in for two nights, let him out day three um, with a little bit of medication um, and no community follow-up and three months later he tries to murder me, tries to butcher me. It is Did so he hard. to come out? Was he saying? Well, he, like he, yeah, he knew he wasn't ready like he just thought that was a waste of time oh right you know like it just like he was going in there hopeful um and it's no it's definitely no fault of the amazing nurses and doctors and medical team it is our effing government that prioritizes funding wars or more money in their back pocket than our health system system. yeah if he's ticking the boxes for release yeah. You know, he might have been in there saying all the right things to get released yeah, as well. Like exactly if he's meeting that criteria for discharge, they're going to discharge him. And I remember having a conversation, I think, after the first night with the psychiatrist that was working saying, oh, we're bed blocked, like, which, you oh, know, right. they've got no beds. So they need beds for the more acute psychosis or the more acute mental health that's coming in. So off he went, you know, it just... Oh, it just angers me so much that there are so many things that can be put in place and I know I'm only one person but if we could come together and get like-minded people, people like, um, yeah, people, government officials but people like Grace Tame that are just making headway who I, who I love, Rosie Batty, um, there's an, a guy called Terang whose sister was murdered and he does a lot of advocating Get us, get people, survivors, victims that have done the work on themselves that can know where the resources need to go immediately and then have the filtered resources out. Yeah, yeah. Give us a big round table. Let's have a conversation, not let's just have a beautiful, um, sensationalized headline that funding is going to DB. Like, where is it? Like, yeah. It just, it really grinds my gears. Like, so so angry um but they're like I know there's better changes that we can do to save people's lives absolutely Mm. um what if like from um like say for example you know someone who is experiencing a domestic violence relationship and maybe it's been confirmed but you're pretty 100% sure and certain that that's what they're experiencing do you have any advice maybe from a outsider's point of view on how to broach that topic with the person that's being abused or maybe even someone who is a friend and I mean you might not be able to speak to this I don't know but maybe even like you said like with your ex for example for him to have called a friend on that 45 minute journey to you that could have talked him out of it that could have brought some sanity into him that could have like you know leveled him out somehow some way to detour him off that track what about the conversation for someone who you know is the abuser and like do you have anything to say to those two types of people yeah, so if you know, if you've got a girlfriend or someone you know that's in a DV relationship and they're the victim of it, do not close the door on them. Do not judge them. Do not get angry at them. I lost a lot of friends, um, especially going back after that first assault because they, they 
could not understand or wrap their head around what what I what the hell I was thinking and I've come to terms with that and I completely understand that they will never get that and I've moved on but there was one who said something and it still knew what was going on between me and my ex and she goes I'm here for you no matter what if you leave him if you go back to him a hundred times I don't mind like I am here I'm I'm just here for you like I will not judge you my door is always opened and it was just so nice to hear because a lot of other like my girlfriends or even my family were like you know and I understand like it was always but verbally bashing him up you know how effing dare he do this to you he's an effing so-and-so you know like they were just so angry what had happened to me that when I would try and talk to them it was just like it was just getting nowhere so don't go on that um that path of what are you doing you can do so much better it doesn't help it doesn't help just say that you'll be there no matter what no matter if you leave him no matter if you get back with him um if you want to flee if you want to you know change careers and move here or whatever just say that you're here and don't close that door hold space yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. And that girlfriend was just such a rock for me throughout that. Like I could just go to her and know that I wasn't wasn't judged. And I've taken that on now when I hear um, stories through clients that I have, um, I, I say the exact same thing to them as well. From the other perspective with if you have a friend that is a perpetrator, I don't know if I have advice because you just, they are just, they're going to do what they're going to do. I don't think you cannot rationalise with them because their way of thinking, Mm. no, their way of thinking is just, it is mind blowing. Like you just think how, how do you come to these thoughts? Like it, I don't think you could talk talk them out of it and I do know so, what, honestly, sorry no you go sorry there's a bit of a delay so I don't mean to sound like I'm interrupting you but no, it's just okay. a delay and I've but, got rain pummeling down on the roof here <laughs> so do I it's lovely <laughs> um I do know one of his friends same that's why was, the delay <laughs> his mutual friend um had talked to him um you know a few times and my ex would just try and convince him that he was right you know and so there's no there's no talking out of it even I I approached his family because I was just like at my wits ends I was like what do I do I need help um and they you know try and talk to him but they're just like oh well that's just him you know so I mean like so like shaming them or calling them out or saying hey dude like you need to get some help like none of that will really work I think for my situation he was too far gone Mm. but I am a big believer that we need to start at a such a young level like a root yeah at at the absolute root of it because I mean if you're in kindergarten or I know that's really extreme but like little things like if you're picking guys boys are picking on girls or Mm -hmm. something like that we need to we need to teach our 
our children from when they are little that that's not okay. What's acceptable by demonstration? Yeah, exactly right. And males and females are equal and we all deserve the same amount of love, kindness and respect. And it needs to start from there because I do believe that my ex didn't just wake up one day and go, okay, I'm going to buy a hunting knife and I'm going to try and chop her up today. It started somewhere and his beliefs started somewhere and no one pulled him up when he was young. You know, I really believe that. I'm not an expert, but, God, I, I really do believe it. Well, how much do kids learn just by watching? So if you're demonstrating a relationship that you're accepting. Yeah. And kids are seeing what's acceptable behaviour. Well, you know, with young men as children, like I've got two teenage boys, they're literally 16 and 14 this week. And if they speak, I mean, I'm pretty tough. And if they speak to me in a way I don't like it, I say, excuse me, don't speak to me like that. Like I'll pull Mm -hmm. them up straight away. But I also always, and I don't need it, but I also always look and give Matt a look if he's around where it's like, hey, you better come to this party and you speak to them from your standpoint of what's acceptable and what's not. And it's not just because it's your mother. It's just because it is another person and it's a woman and it's an elder and it's all of the things that I am. Mm. But it's it's so important, you know, like, um, you know, we, what were we doing? We were doing something and Harley pushed me and it was just a a funny, like little get away kind of, it it was nothing in it. It was almost Mm. just like a a push out the way kind of thing. And, but he is so strong and it, and he was mortified at the fact that I went as far as I did because he didn't mean it to happen. And he's the softest little, like not little, he's like six foot, but he's the softest heart that you would ever see he cries at you know a a dog that's sick you know yeah but he doesn't know his own strength and so another thing too is that for young boys to understand that they do have this sense of responsibility with their physicality yeah you know and Mm. yeah you've really got to think about your what you can do with your weight and what you can do with your height and how imposing and threatening and Mm. how like how scary just your sheer presence is if Mm -hmm. you are not coming from a place of of love and kindness and compassion like you can just be an intimidating dude just by standing there and you could have a heart of gold but like there's so many things for them to consider oh absolutely and yeah that's why there needs to be change education even in schooling I do believe um yep sports exactly right sports club having culture yeah, exactly right. Shifting the culture. Like it's funny. It's not funny, but I was with my cousins, which are guys and girls the other day, and my cousin, she was about four years younger than me, I'm 31 now, she said, oh, I was walking home, um, walking to my car after work, and it was really, really scary. Um, so I, I got both sets of car keys out and put them between my knuckles, and all us girls were like, yeah, we do that too, like in the yeah. dark when we walk to our car. I've done and that. Then, yeah. And then the guys were just like, what do you mean? What are you talking about? Like they, just the way we have to think. Yeah. You know. You think how just, fast I can get to my car as well. Yeah. We are always thinking, how am I going to get out of this? You know, just what if something happens? And what if I'm in the wrong place at the wrong time? Or what if that man up in the shadow, hmm. you know, isn't the nice? Yeah, exactly right. And it's just, it's bloody sad that we have to think like that 
Um, mm. I think we I think we have a long way to go in our society to start shifting the cultural norms. Um, I do think we are getting better though. I feel like more people are talking about um, things like domestic uh-huh. violence, mental health. Look. You know, we're having, we're doing this now. We're bringing it to platforms. And, you know, even five, ten years ago, these conversations were taboo. Yeah. Yeah. I have a question for you Um, Mm -hmm. with regards to advice that you would give or certain situations that you may have found yourself in um, and what people may be fearful to say and not say. So, did any of your friends or family, like you mentioned, you lost a few because they couldn't, you know, accept what you were doing or even understand it? Um, were they ever around when this sort of behaviour was around and did people ever say anything about it? I've been in situations where I've been in, I've been witness and I've been present Um and there's a few different scenarios how that, that turned out when people would speak up and other times people were told not to speak up. What do you have to say on that sort of situation? Yeah, I... It, sorry, can you repeat the question, Lara? Yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. So if other people were around Don't be times, sorry, it's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. Um, When other people were around at those times, what advice would you give the people witnessing to do to best support you? As in witnessing the actual abuse? Yeah, Yeah, whether it be verbal, physical, whatever, if there's anybody around and and those people are wondering, fuck, do I say something? Do I not say something? What do I say something? Am I going to make it worse? The neighbours? Yeah. So in my situation, no one ever witnessed the abuse. It was always behind closed doors. Um, but, oh, God, I remember so many times I just wish and prayed someone would walk through that door and say, hey, stop or are you okay? Like just, I, like I would have done anything for someone to just walk through that door and say, get me out of that situation. I would 100% coming from a victim or I don't like the word victim but survivor, um, say definitely say something because I could imagine, I know what I felt like even when it was verbal abuse or even if it's just spitting, you were terrified. You you just freeze. You do. You just go into this little deer in headlight um, mode because you just, your body tenses after you've been hit. Um, your body tenses and it, you you brace for it, you know. So if someone could have intervened and said, hey, like that's mm-hmm. not on, don't talk to her like that, or, yeah, I would say yes, for sure, like intervene. I also understand, though, like I could imagine if my ex would, and me were out in public and he was, do, he spat, say he spat on me or he started going off verbally, it would be very intimidating, the look of him, for someone to go, hey, that's not on. Um, so I understand why people don't intervene for their own safety. Um, but if it's safe to do so, I say yes, 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 say something. And don't talk to him either or whoever the perpetrator is, whether it's a woman or a man. I talk to the, the person that's copying it and say, hey, are you okay? Can I get you out of here? Don't don't antagonise him. Just mm-hmm. talk to um, talk to the victim 
Mm. I love that. That's Most great things. advice. That's something that like as an outsider sort of coming into that, you'd want to kind of be managing both. Mm. Or at least go after the aggressor because you're thinking that's Protection. the one that yeah. needs like that's to the harm. get told to piss off yeah. rather yeah. than ignoring that. Yeah, because I, I I honestly, like I know if someone had intervened in any of my times that I was being abused and they talked directly to me, I think I would have just ran and held their hand and got out of there with them, you know. Yeah, no matter who it was. Yeah, if it was the other way and they approached him, it probably would have ended up in a brawl, you know. Yep. And you would so, have been punished for it. Exactly right. And then as soon as that was over, I would have copped it behind, you know, closed doors. That's exactly right. I was, I don't know whether any of our listeners have seen it yet, but there is a um, a new, uh, very short doco series on Netflix called Bad Vegan. Um, and our listeners will know and understand and appreciate my obsession with cults and true crime. And so Bad <laughs> Vegan is actually about a cult, but it is about what they call a, um, a one-person cult. And so it is a cult leader but only has one follower. And a lot of what you are saying and have said and a lot of what I know about domestic violence, it is so similar in terms of the coercive control, the progressive control, um, the the kind of like the gaslighting, the head fuckery, the, the fact that no one gets it. And there is so many uh, similarities that, that are shared amongst this. And I think that it takes a special kind of psychological, like psychology or pathology for a certain person that kind of allows them to be that way, which is an illness you know, ultimately it's an illness and not or only from, from straight away. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, and not only from, you know, my point of view from thinking it from this space in terms of everything that you're saying in terms of, we need to educate them and we need to support them, but we also need to be able to have some kind of system that evaluates the mental health of these people because a lot of the time there is a pathology there that is not normal and that needs to be medicated or addressed or nurtured or supported or something because Uh. if that's looked after then their behavior is corrected you know from my experience um with you know what I alluded to earlier with dv um and it's very close like so super close but this person, they are, they have a mental illness that is diagnosed. And if they do not take their medicine, they are a dangerous human being. And we have to live in that fear of that dangerous human being. But if this person complies and takes their medicine, they're the person that we've known forever who, you know, wouldn't hurt a fly. Yep. And there needs to be this, this, um, and I, I feel like there's not enough an evaluation because your ex seems to me like he probably had some pathology going on there that completely went under the radar. Yep. Yep. Oh, for sure. He was definitely a combination of um, untreated mental health issues, um, substance abuse, and then trauma from previous when we went to get like previous from us meeting, he he was the perfect storm for this to happen. Um, and yeah, I definitely mm. believe like if he, you know, that time at the martyr, like 
maybe that second assault wouldn't have happened if you got the proper help and the proper follow-up. Um, you know, like, yeah, there's a lot that needs to change. Because um, they need help. They're sometimes, and not all the time, but sometimes they're sick. Yeah, exactly. exactly sometimes right. they're neglected or they yeah. were neglected. Sometimes there is a deficit there that, that you know, they, they need they need to be made whole again in some way. And it's not to try and, like, condone or to make excuses. No. It's not what I'm trying to do. And I know that, you know, we talked about it today. Yeah. Um, but I think of my son, Luca, who was bullied so severely that he tried to take his own life. You know, from a mom of a child, you would think that I would be, like, anti-bullying left, right, and center. But there is a huge part of my human self that's just like, you know what? Hurt people hurt people. Mm-hmm. People that aren't well hurt people mm-hmm. if they don't if they aren't able to regulate what's what's okay and what's not. Mm. And inside of domestic violence, I feel like there is a whole different conversation that needs to happen to that in terms of why perpetrators do what they do or why some do what they do. But I would bet a lot that there would be a huge contingency of those perpetrators that fall into that category. And yeah, there needs to be more that's done about that at the grassroots. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think majority, when I used to work in forensic mental health, we would have a saying they're either more mad than bad or more bad than mad. Wow. And yeah. <gasps> and yeah. And oh, that I, is so just like profoundly true. obvious and simple <laughs> and like, oh my God. Yeah, I, I felt the same way when I heard it as well. And, yeah, I reckon a large percentage would be more mad than bad as well. But there was, yeah. you know, there will always be bad eggs in no matter what topic we talk about um, and they will obviously make up a percentage of this um, DV um, assaults. But, yeah, I, I totally agree mental health plays a huge part in it. It's Inside so individualised of- and so is drug taking, so is all kinds of things um, yeah. and especially when it comes to mental health and getting help and helping mental health patients, it requires them to come to the party as well. It requires a higher level of compliance to show up and want to work on it as well and, unfortunately, yeah. that's yeah. not the that's case the problem. in a lot yeah, of these. That's, that's right. You just, you're up shit for they have to recognise they have a problem. There's no other way to put it. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly right. There's no way he would have to by himself because I him into her to get him help like the way I think or the way I act or the way I treat people is not okay maybe I need help if some people just can't be helped in this lifetime and that's just the way it is but then I also don't know how we keep I'm sure there are solutions but yeah sometimes inside the prison sorry I just no. lost you all just then, and I'm going to have same. to wait till the episode airs. Calvin <laughs> sounded like a, re- a robot on my she end. She did. Too. Hopefully, um, in- Zoom patches it together. Hopefully, inside the prison system and inside your ex's sentence, are you aware of? Um, like we see on TV and documentaries and things like that, that certain people inside the prison system who suffer with certain 
shit that's going on that got them in there in the first place, they get rehabilitated. Is there a real, as far as you know, is there some form of rehabilitation for people like your ex inside um, the prison system? Uh, it got mentioned in um, the district court when I had the court case not too long ago um, that there is programs that are run um, by volunteers. I don't know the depths of them and what what they involve. Um, they're not mandatory. Um, so he, he the mag- yeah, I know. The magistrate rang up, you know, you had, I think it was something like six chances to go to um, these courses and you went to four, you know. So it, what a waste. Like what an absolute waste of an opportunity while they are in incarceration to get help. Like if that is not the perfect time where they cannot hurt another individual, where their victim is safe, like what what a fucking waste. Why should they be given the choice for it to be voluntary, to go or not, or whether it should be mandatory? It was mandatory for me to go to this drug drunk driver they literally call it drunk driver and it's just like thanks I mean that's what I was but thanks like thanks for reminding me but they do not go easy and it's like this dude is in prison why are you all going easy on him like anything that you say he has to do he should have to do yeah and it was just and like touching on my court case it was a kick in the guts it was the worst thing out of all our that relationship I had out of everything that had happened to me that court case was the worst <clears throat> and this is something I do want to touch on the victim in the matter has no rights they have no right whatsoever when it comes to the court case like he he had the <clears throat> opportunity to talk and then he talked for about an hour and he was going oh I'm doing so well I get to work out at the gym every day and um, I get to work in the shop, um, you know, it's been really good for me in here and everything like that. He could oh talk about God. anything. He was talking, talking about ex-partners and, um, like, there was no remorse whatsoever. Meanwhile, I had the opportunity to do a victim impact statement and so I really gave myself months to really write this, be really articulate, know what I wanted to say and you've got to submit it to the court system so the magistrate, defence and prosecution can read it. Um, and then I got a phone call back saying, oh, you might have to take that out. That might be a little bit offensive towards him. Um, wow. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. And they were, like, they were trying to help me stay on this, um, what do you call it, like template. But it was just, it's not what you want to say. Like this is your moment to go, hey, this is what you've done. This is how it affects me. Like just let me have my moment. So he could. So I end up pulling out my victim impact statement and didn't even say anything on the day um, because I thought, what's the point? I can't say what I want to say. Like I'm being told to pretty much. That's interesting. Why is that? Why do they say that? Because my prosecutor was amazing. She is amazing. And she warned me at the very start when these charges started that the whole process is about him it'll be all about him and not you and it's she goes and it's just the way it is and she's like it's messed up but it's the way it is 
you know. Mm. I couldn't even have, because it had to be via Zoom um, because of the COVID regulations that it wasn't in person for the court. I could not even show my face on screen. I had to have a blackout and I had to be on mute. Meanwhile, he was there on the big screen for a good hour talking about what he wanted and I just thought I'm just silenced and it was just, it was just, disgusting you know like do you worry worry that that puts people off reporting I'd like to think not um I don't know if mine was just a bit of a a one-off because um normally for most part apparently the perpetrators um, I think Caitlin just said the perpetrators don't normally speak. He just couldn't help himself and wanted to make it all about him. Anyone's listening, don't let that put you off. I'm hoping mine's just a bit of a one-off. Yeah, that's right. I'm sorry. No, it's just robotic, Caitlin again. <laughs> Oh, sorry. That's okay. Um, is there anything that you want to share that we haven't spoken about tonight or anything that you feel that you just need to get out there? Any, Anything, anything. Like, I mean, Laura and I have asked so many questions and we could probably sit with you all night and ask these questions. Yeah. Um, and I could sit here and probably do a hundred episodes to try and bring light to to this situation and um, and honor your bravery and your graceful courage and just um, and just honor people like Mackenzie and yourself. Like, I mean, you're both victims. Mackenzie, you know, has gone and she's been, you know, it, she's now a statistic of the eight, mm-hmm. and you're one of the two hundred and sixty four thousand. Um, but either way. Um, you both experienced a tremendous amount of fear and trauma. And um, mm. I, I just, if I, I, I've gone like through this roller coaster of, and Laura is probably so much stronger than me because she's been exposed in the hospital system to so many different types of things. Um, and I she's generally stronger helps. anyway in that level. <laughs> really? I kind of feel like it's like you could probably brace yourself for for hearing this kind of stuff because you have to be ready to respond, like ready. I don't, I don't know. It's kind of like I see you kind of as like a, a superhero almost. It's just like, okay, trauma, react, trauma, react, trauma, react. <laughs> it's like. <laughs> no. <laughs> at a time mm. like this, I kind of feel like you would be able to pull on that. <laughs> I've had all afternoon to prepare. Um, you called, you did call me at work and say, this is, this is what, this is what we would like to happen tonight. I was like, sure. So <laughs> maybe I did prepare, but I don't, I don't think, um, yeah, no, I, there's no amount of preparing to hear such stories that Caitlin's shared that makes it okay. You know, mm-hmm. it's never okay. And I'm certainly not unfeeling at all. And it does, you know, of course it does affect, it has to affect you no matter what level of experience you have. And I think if it doesn't, (laughs) there's something to be worried about there. Yeah. Yeah. You've got, there's pathology there. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And that's not what I meant to imply. It was more just like my, I feel like I've been through a washing machine Yeah, and, and I'm just hearing about it. 
Exactly. Caitlin, amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it takes you to to actually go through it. I I don't even begin to try and pretend that I know. No. You really have to pull yourself out of a dark hole. Um, And... Because the end of the abuse and when he's in jail, it's not the end. No, it is probably the worst I've ever felt after Mm. he went to jail and in the court. Um, You are just so numb you um you're in survivor mode still um your subconscious kicks in so after he was in jail and I I knew I was safe but my subconscious was still trying to protect me Mm. I would I would do laps of my dad's house making sure every window was locked putting chairs up against doors you're locking doors now yeah yeah and then 10 minutes later I'd realized that I've there's like three chairs over there. I've got, you know, a pair of scissors in my hand just in case. You know, you just, you're still in survival mode. And I was, and my psychologist said that like, and for three months I reckon I was like that, just on guard waiting for something to happen. And then you just crash because all your adrenaline leaves and all the, the stress leaves. And I reckon I slept for a solid three days. Like, wow. and it is just the beginning of, of healing. And healing. it is... It is not easy. It is it is the darkest of the darkest places um, I definitely have ever been in. Um, and you just go through all these emotions, like you're grieving, um, you're trying to understand understand what's happened to you and why, and you're angry, you're sad. Um, I just remember this intense anger coming over me out of nowhere, and I'm pretty relaxed person but this it was just rage where I was in the shower one morning I just started smashing up the shower because I was so angry at what had happened to me and how powerless I was um and so you have to and that that simmers um but it simmers with help like I obviously knew like hey like I've gone through a shitload of trauma here um I know this isn't me I want to get help and be back to myself um, so if anyone is listening and they are out of that relationship and they are dealing with that trauma, like one hour at a time, not even one day at a time, just one hour at a time, just get there and just feel what you need to feel. There is there is no wrong and there is no right. And it's only recently that I have learnt um, so I've been numb for so long and dealt with my emotions, but I was still very just just cruising through life and not really back to this whole loving person that I am. And it hit me. It just like a, a light bulb moment. If that, if you leave your spark left out, your fire out, that light in you, that drive in you, they win. They win. And don't let them do that, you know. Love again, um, be kind again. Don't let it harden you. Turn a corner in the last month. Let that trauma change the person I am and the compassion I can have for people and the love I can have for people. Um, just, yeah, you will get there. You will. Yeah, an hour a day at a time, right? Yeah. 
that's exactly right. Um, and I guess it's like a real a rebuilding. And if like one of my clients actually said to me this afternoon, we were talking about my foot because um, I've got a potential fracture and she, and I just said, oh, it's just a, an extra excuse to sit down and do more work. And she's just like, you all, like ever the silver lining with you, Tracy. And so I guess, and, and I don't want this to sound like in any way, shape or form that I'm trying to minimize any of this or that it happens for the silver lining. But, um, you know, what you just mentioned in terms of being able to realize that you can be whole again and that you can love again and all of those things, what are the silver linings that you've managed to see so far in your whole experience of DV? I've come out the other side much wiser, um, much more. I've never been more sure of who I am as a person and what I stand for now. Like I just, I've it, it's completely altered my life. I'll never be the same person again, but I'll be a better person because of it. Um whether it's, I feel like I was a kind person before, but even just being more present and kinder to people and just having a bit more empathy for what people might be going through that you don't realise. Um, yeah, I. it is the worst thing that has ever happened in my life, but I'm, I'm glad it has happened because I'm a better, stronger person for it. And that's just so beautiful to hear you say that because that's what I know about you for sure, for certain, 100% without a doubt, that in your spirit, um, it's not about you. No, it's at this point anymore. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's bigger than me. And, and you know, I, um, so I have my own business and I see a lot of clients each day and I have clients that come into my clinic and they open up to me and there's so many clients that, um, are in DV relationships and I sit down and I talk to them, I open up about my story and help them behind closed doors. And I didn't really want to make this public or wanted to get on a platform and I just want to go back to Mackenzie's story. Um, when I heard that Monday night, I just knew. I knew I had to do something and needed to be her voice. Um, it, it was just like a calling. Yeah. And not everybody, not everybody is going to feel that. Not everyone is going to is going to see that or know that or have that inner calling. This is just Caitlin's experience with that, which is probably the reason why she ended up being a client of mine because there's obviously a more spiritual aspect to part of her purpose and and what she's here to do in her human experience. And that is not for everybody. So I don't want everyone to think that your silver lining has to be that it's not about you, that it's about no. other people. Um, yes. But in, Kate, in Caitlin's case, that's what it is. And I need to honor that about you. And I need to let you know that I see that in you. And, um, and I think that the community that you're going to impact, and it seems like it's going to be multiple communities, um, that you're going to impact and that um, I'm going to get to witness you do that um, and just keep shining that not be more proud of your graceful courage tonight and you spoke so beautifully so articulately so eloquently and you were so brave and honest um, 
And um, I think these are the kinds of discussions that need to happen. It's the real conversations that get to the people that feel like they're being seen and heard and understood. Um, mm. And I could probably talk about, and Laura and I could probably have done an episode tonight where we spoke about domestic violence, but we don't know, we don't know it. Mm. And tonight, you know, we hopefully were able to capture uh, something that potentially, like you said in the beginning, if I could just help one person, um, yeah. then that's the whole point of, of doing this exercise. So I'm sure you're going to capture more than one person, whether it is a victim, a perpetrator, or someone who stands by and supports a victim at some some stage along their journey. Yeah. So thank yeah. you so much. Oh, my gosh, thank you for having me and holding this space for me and listening. Anytime. Stay in Anytime. touch. And like we mentioned at the beginning of the episode and during the episode, there will be uh, help services links for White Ribbon in Australia for our Australian listeners in the show notes at the attached to this show, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, anywhere else in the world, look up your local providers. And uh, you also wanted to mention on safe houses too? Yeah, so safe houses are... Um secret spaces that are not shared publicly you can't literally google where's a safe house near me it's not going to happen that way the reason why they're a safe house is because they can't be googled by a perpetrator who will do anything to find you um they have almost superpower stalking abilities safe houses are safe houses for a reason and um caitlin you mentioned today that um you have often shared the location of a safe house for people to go to so if anyone's listening that feels like they need to find a safe house how do you suggest they go about maybe potentially doing that or coming into contact with someone who could share the information of a safe house yeah i definitely just open up to people and you know it's 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 either someone or someone's friend will know the right person to point you in the direction of. Um, that's how I found out about one. Um, you know, as a friend of a friend, I'll get in contact. Just open up, just have that conversation. Um, and it, it, be surprised. It's Yeah, you will. You will be surprised. Absolutely. Uh, the other thing too is that I know that um, where we live, the local coast shelter, um, which is also local to Caitlin, but the local coast shelter here, I know that if you were to go there, that they're able to point you to a safe house as well. Uh, many safe houses, mm-hmm. different safe houses, um, any kind of um, charity that you can think of, like White Ribbon, Mission mm-hmm. Australia, anything that you ring, they will be able to point you to those places as well. Um, and the other thing that I just wanted to quickly mention, Laura did say that we're going to put up the in the show notes the, um, the resources uh, that White Ribbon advocate um the one thing about white ribbon is that they are specifically about um awareness and support around women who are victims not uh not men not like it's women so white ribbon is specific to women um they do a lot when it comes to raising awareness for for perpetrators but they tend to be very male female the victim is the female the perpetrator is the male so if you happen to be a male listening or if you happen to identify as whatever it is that you identify no judgment here but um maybe laura or caitlin maybe we can come up with some extra things that we can post over the next couple of days on social media with other resources for spaces that are alternates to white ribbon who i mean i'm sure if you rang them they wouldn't leave you dry and hanging and they would be able to put 
point you in the right direction um, because charities are, are amazing places and they're kind-hearted people. Um, but I just wanted to make sure that if any of our listeners who don't identify as women happen to get onto White Ribbon and see that it is focused for women, that there was no offence or anything taken that maybe prevent yeah. them and think, oh, my God, like this is an omen. I shouldn't be doing this because Good that's point. not it's not what I want to do. Yeah. Thanks again, Caitlin and Laura. Thank you so much for taking my call today and me putting this idea on you and you just taking it like a trooper and saying yes, of course, and being open to it. Because I know it's loaded, I know it's heavy, and I know it's a huge responsibility. So thank you so much, my little my little partner in in podcast welding. <laughs> well, it was meant to be because we needed to record and we didn't actually have a topic. So it was all just waiting for Caitlin. So you're welcome. I'm just I'm very sorry that you went had to go through it all to um you're you're the own you know you're the silver lining as well in sharing it and doing what you are with this so thank you I just can't say thank you enough for all the people that you're yet to touch thank you thank you so much and watch this space because I'm pretty sure this isn't the last that you'll hear of Caitlin (laughs) (laughs) it's truly a privilege truly an honor thank you so much for joining us thank you thanks Caitlin